Does that mean I'm coming apart, Steve? <laughs> um, so take note of that. You can pay attention to the rest of the things there, the moms in the park, also the changing station that's uh, going to be on August 8th uh, for uh, the festival down in the park. So you can take note of that. Secondly, on the back of that, there are fill-in-the-blanks. And as I've done a couple times, uh, I have a little bit of incentive if you fill in the blanks. I have a Reese cup and some Snickers and some other things. So afterward, if you fill them in, and let me just tell you, do you ever have somebody hand you those? I don't do it all the time because I get bored with them. But you try to fill them out intuitively where you go through it and you say, I bet that's what he's going to say. Any of you ever do that? You won't guess one of them. I'll just tell you ahead of time. So you, there's, there's not much intuitive about this. We have been for the summer talking about the church. It's not about the building. And we're going to follow that up. And some of you are going to groan when I say what we're going to talk about this morning from chapter 4, verses 6 to 16. When I say it's about practice, practice, practice. How's that make you feel? You sweating already? Huh? Well, that's what it's about. It's about practice, practice, practice. Practice means, the verb, it means to perform an activity or an exercise repeatedly as to improve your proficiency. In other words, to get better at it, right? And so in that sense, we'll see in this passage that the church is about practice, practice, practice. The, the whole backdrop for this passage is athletic training. Now, just glean some things with me out of this. If you have your Bible, I'm going to just pick up a word, and you'll see what I'm seeing here out of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. And notice in verse 6, he uses the word trained. Uh, Servant of Christ Jesus, trained in the words of the faith. Then in verse 7, near the end, he says, train yourself for godliness. In verse 8, verse you're familiar with, he says, bodily training. Uh, Verse 10, he says, we toil and strive. Uh, Verse uh, 15, 16, practice, progress, uh, persist. And all of those are figures of athletic things. You know, we, we read the Bible and we forget that their culture was not too different than ours in many ways. Athletics were a big deal to them. They were familiar with the Olympics. They would have known about games like that and races. The Olympics started about eight centuries before this was written. So about 800 years before Christ came, they already have Olympic Games going on, and they were a big deal. People would work out for the Olympics for months and years getting ready just like they do today. The Olympics were interesting. They had running, jumping, they, they threw a discus. The first ones were made out of stone, so you didn't want to get a hit with it. And uh, they had a javelin throw, and we know this from artist depictions that still are around today. And interestingly enough, uh, married women were not allowed to attend the Olympic Games. 
uh, that's because it was men only and they performed in the nude. Um, I'm just telling you the way it was. So when you see the artist's depictions and that's the way it looks, it's because that's, that's the way they competed. Part of it was, I don't know, perversion. Part of it was they felt like that any encumbrance of clothing would slow them down a little bit. Now they've refined it and refined it, and the clothing is streamlined. So fortunately, in the Olympic Games today, they are clothed. But the, the games were a big deal. In fact, the first marathon race uh, was uh, from Marathon to Sparta, a distance of 149 miles. Now I believe it's 26.2. Am I right on that? And, and uh, then it, the first one was 149. It was really to warn about an invasion. But it became known as the marathon, and out of that grew the marathon races. So I said all that to say they knew all about sports. They knew about competition. They knew about athletics and racing, and, you know, that was part of their life, just like it's part of our life. You know, when you read about the ancient Olympics, it's, it's really amazing that their training techniques were not so different than ours. Uh, you watch them, and they use weights. They ran. They, they uh, would wrestle and, uh, as part of their training. And really, their training was somewhat like ours, very disciplined training. They worked hard at it. A few years ago, I picked up a book. I'm a Larry Bird fan. I think Larry Bird, for those of you that aren't basketball fans, he probably got as much mileage out of his physical ability as anybody that's played the game. Uh, not that he was... Uh, subpar physically, but he was nothing like the players around him. He didn't have that superior athletic ability. But Larry Bird decided, he made a decision, that he was going to be a good basketball player. And in that decision, one of the things he did, listen to this, before school every day, he would go to the gym early in the morning and shoot 500 free throws. You know, I like basketball. But one of the reasons Larry Bird shot 90% for his career in free throws was because he went to the gym at 6 o'clock in the morning before school and shot 500 free throws. And one of the reasons Phil didn't do any of those things is because I didn't go to the school. And, and there's no substitute for preparation, for practice. And that's some of the picture we're going to see in this passage. He's talking about practice. Get into it. Get ready. Prepare. And it requires a certain amount of discipline. Now, so you'll see where I get this first word. Notice in the very beginning of this passage, chapter 4, 1 Timothy, verse 6. He says, if you put these things before the brothers. Um, Steve, is that me in that mic? Should I move down? Okay, pardon me. We, you don't want to listen to this the whole time. Let's fix it. Better? Okay. All right. I don't want you to have to listen to that because I can hear it. Typically, I can't. So we'll try this again. 
Um, if you notice that first word in this passage, it says, if you do something. And you know that if is a conditional word, that you can fulfill the condition and then the results will follow, or you cannot fulfill the, this, the condition, right? And in this case, he's saying that you, that you have to make a decision. And so here's what I see in that beginning, is that practice always begins with a decision. Now, I'm giving you a hint. If you have that blank, that practice starts with a decision. And Larry Bird made a decision that he was going to be really good at this game. And so he practiced. We have a, a friend that some of you know. His name is Adam Cord. He's a guitarist. And I can remember Adam back when he was in his teens, he decided to play guitar. And in his decision to play guitar, he would sit down and, and practice scales by the hour and just sit and run all of the keys, all of the scales up and down a guitar neck. For any of you that have picked up a guitar, you know that that neck can be a real mystery as to where all the notes are on that neck. I think it's much harder than a piano. But he worked at it and worked at it until he, he could just work that neck from memory in any key. And if you started in, in the key of D, he knew where every note was in that key on the neck. Well, it started with a decision, a decision to practice. But that, doesn't everything in life start with a decision? Doesn't it? We have to decide. We, we uh, sang the song earlier seemed to fit. I have decided to follow Jesus. That starts with a decision, an act of our will. And, and athletic accomplishment always starts with a decision. More importantly, anything that we're going to do for the Lord starts with a decision. So what I'd like to do is read these verses, 6 through 16, and then we're going to come back and look at a few things. Why don't we pray before we begin, huh? Lord, we want to hear from you this morning. We want to think your thoughts. We, we want to align with you in every way. And God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Where we would be errant, where our thoughts would be wrong, would you correct them? And Lord, I pray that, that we as a body, and each of us as individuals, would have a heart's decision to walk with you, to follow you, to exercise our spiritual dimension, to be like you. Lord, we commit this time to you. Speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read First Timothy 4, starting at 6. If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and in the doctrine, good doctrine, that you followed. The word doctrine means teaching. So the good teaching that you followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. 
as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we've had our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set to believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for so, by so doing, you will both save yourself and your hearers. The first practice there that I see is one that maybe is so contrary, most contrary to our human nature. And he starts by saying, practice serving. Serving. Serving the Lord, serving one another. Last week, Steve spoke on deacons. And he pointed out that our word deacon is really a, uh, a transliteration brought over from the original, the word diakonos. And that's the same word here. Some of your translations, some that you're looking at, are going to use the word minister. It will say, if you do these things, you'll be a good minister. I think that's a distortion. What he's saying is that if you follow these things and the things I'm going to instruct you, then you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. You know, you read the Gospels and uh, you find that Christ, the Son of Man, came not to serve or came not to be served, uh, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then of us, he says, the greatest among you is the servant. Have you ever noticed that when we determine to be served, that is a well that can't be filled? What I mean by that is that when when we want to be served, when it's all about me, you can't get enough. You just can't get enough. But there's an amazing transition when we decide to serve. Because when we decide to serve, we find ourselves satisfied. I, I believe that's the way God has created us. He's created us to serve, not to be served. Contrary to our human nature, contrary to our natural desires, and, and yet satisfaction, heart satisfaction, comes in serving others. And so the starting point, the very starting point, I think, is determining to be a servant. First, a servant of the Lord Jesus. And when I say that, it feels a little obscure to me to say I'm going to serve the Lord. Does it you? How, how do you serve the Lord? The Lord doesn't need anything from me, does he? What can I do? How can I serve the Lord? Oh, I can offer him praise. I can offer him thanksgiving, and that's service at a point. I can offer my substance to him, 
and that service at a point, but how does he want us to serve him? And, and the answer is to that, we serve others, right? We serve people. We serve his creation. You know, I, I remember a college professor who had graduate degrees from Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the premier uh, evangelical institutions in the country. And he, he was teaching at a little Bible college where we attended. And I found out in talking to him that he didn't have a bed. He, they slept on a mattress on the floor. And they lived in a little home that was on the college compound on the campus. And, and they didn't have anything. They didn't have any furniture. Uh, they lived in a Spartan existence. And he was happy. He, he had, really, his heart was content. Now, why? Because his focus had turned from what he could gain from his education and by being served to what he could gain by serving. And, and I think there's a pattern there, folks, is that we need to practice serving. And then he, he goes on and... and catch this. He says, uh, you'll be a good servant. You're trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine. And so what I saw there was this, is that you need to practice taking in good food, good nourishment. As you, you take in, the, there's an old saying, garbage in, garbage out. That's true in every phase of life. And it's certainly true in the spiritual life. You need to take in good food and good nourishment. And I'm still hearing that echo. I'm going to move down a little further. Um, the things that you take in are going to affect who we are. They're going to affect our ability to serve. We have to take in good food. He says the words of the faith and of good doctrine. Take those things in. And then notice what he says following, uh, that you practice rejecting the junk, the junk food, the, the uh, silly myths, he says, irreverent silly myths. Now, what's he talking about there? What's he talking Well, there were some distortions of doctrine that were coming along that had to do with the law. But what about us? How can we practice uh, this the idea of denying staying away from junk food. How many of you like junk food? Come on, tell me. Yeah, okay. Josh, get your hand up there. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of us like junk food. And when I sit down to, to watch a ball game, which I do, it's the only thing on TV I care about. If I sit down to watch a ball game, you know what goes through my mind the very first thing? I need junk food. So I find myself at the refrigerator, and I'm looking for something that I can take, uh, a salty snack. Uh, I've tried not to drink soft drinks. I drink seltzer water, but, uh, but I'm looking for junk food. And I take that junk food in. And you know what happens when you take junk food in? I'm a visual evidence of that. You know? <laughs> this is what happens when you take junk food in. And... And uh, we need to be careful of what we eat, right? We, we have to be careful. We know that. Uh, the doctors tell us that. We know that's true. Well, as true as that is in the physical realm, 
and as important as that is, it's infinitely more important in the spiritual realm. We need to be careful what we take in. And we can get caught up in things that do not matter. Someone has said that we have to be careful not to major in the minors. And, and that's true in the spiritual realm. We have to be really careful that we don't get caught up in some controversial issue that really has no profit. It doesn't matter whether it's this way or that. And so we get caught up in arguments. You ever find yourself in that, in a theological argument that really just doesn't matter? It's not important. Or in something having to do with prophecy that tends to be obscure, and some feel this way and some feel this way, and you find yourself being drawn into a discussion on it, when, when in the end there's no profit to it. He says, avoid those things. Avoid silly myths. Avoid those things that just don't matter. And don't take them in. So, here's part of that, that training is that we take in good food and we avoid the junk food. Now, notice uh, as, you, as you keep reading down to verse 10 and following that we practice the permanent. Look what he says. Bodily trainings of some value, and it is. I, I wouldn't want to diminish the value of bodily training. It's good for us to be fit. It's good for us to have exercise. Yesterday, I came home. I have to tell you a little story. Yesterday morning, I ran out of the house. Um, I was running close to schedule on, on an appointment that I had, so I really didn't eat breakfast. I ate a piece of toast on the way out the door with jelly on it, and that was my breakfast. And then I had a fairly busy morning, things going on. And about 12 o'clock, the bottom just dropped out of my blood sugar. Now, why did, that, why did I get so weak? Because I hadn't eaten anything that was good. I ate carbs and sugar. I didn't have any protein, didn't have anything good for me. And, and when it happened, I, I'm not diabetic. I don't have any long-standing problems like that. But when it happened, your knees get weak. Any of you ever have that? And you just aren't worth anything. So I got some food, uh, the best I could get handy, and I ate something, and an hour or so later it begins to feel a little better, and a couple hours later. But I, I went home and just crashed for a couple hours then after that. Now, I think that's an illustration of what he's saying, if, is that when we take in junk, when we take in spiritual junk, we're going to be weak-kneed. We're not going to have the ability... To, to live up to the, the challenge of the day that God has before us. And, and then he goes on and says that we need to practice. Yeah, bodily exercise is good for a little while, but we need to practice the permanent. He says practice godliness, because while bodily exercise profits in this life, godliness lasts forever, ever and ever. And you know what he's going to show here in this passage is that not only does godliness profit me, if I live a life that is like Jesus, not only does it profit me in this life and in the life to come, but he's going to show that it profits everyone around us. You know anybody in your life that just lives like Jesus 
Anybody like that in your life that practices godliness? And how do they affect you? Well, when we have that, it calls us to a higher calling. You know, in sports, it's interesting that um, I, I saw a video that Roger Bannister, 1954, was the first man to run a mile in four minutes. And there were some that thought it couldn't be done. They just thought, no one's going to run a mile in four minutes. For years and years, people had tried. They couldn't get there. Finally, he did it. And he, he's, there's a wonderful video of him detailing a, a lot of his journey and a, a lot about sports. Uh, but one of the things that you see is that historically, right after he ran a four-minute mile, you know what happened? Within the next year, there are people running the four-minute mile. And within five years, there's all kinds of people running the four-minute mile. He broke a barrier. People watched him, and they said, it, yeah, that can be done. I, I think the same thing's true in the spiritual realm. I, I've had a few people in my life, call them mentors, if you will, and I watched their life. I watched their stable walk with Christ. I saw the demonstration of their love for the Lord, and I saw it working out in people's life. And I said to myself, maybe subconsciously, but that's, that's possible. He did that. He ran the four-minute mile. He can walk for the Lord, and so can I. And so, that's, so godliness not only profits me, but godly, godliness, godly living, profits everyone around me. The uh, next section there is it's maybe a little more obscure, but as you continue reading, he says, bodily training in verse 8 is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. The saying is, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For this, to this end, we toil and strive because, why, we've had our hopes set on the living God. And what I see there is that we practice looking at the goal. We practice focusing on the goal. Uh, this life is not the goal. This isn't the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is the life to come. Now, we live this life well. This life's important because it's preparing for forever. But this isn't the goal. For me to run a four-minute mile, sorry for that illustration, but for me to run a four-minute mile is really important. For me to be godly is more important, right? And that's what he's calling us to keep our eyes on the ultimate goal. Keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Keep our eyes on the goal. Then he goes on in the verses to follow is that uh, he says that we're to be an example, verse 12, which goes back to, to my let no one despise your youth, but set an example to the believers. Your life means more to others than you could possibly know. You just can't know. You know, Ron has been a good friend for a number of years, and I've watched Ron's energy do you admire Ron's energy? If, if you know him, you should. 
And, and I've admired Ron's, Ron's energy, and, and Ron uh, is a, an illustration to me. He's a bodily example to me of people who can invest their energy in the things of the Lord and can keep going and keep going. His schedule on a week is pretty tiring. He has a long week, and he's right now he's in the middle of so many things. And I know that he's busy, but that example that he set is a good example for all of us. Paul calls Timothy. He says, be an example. Uh, don't, don't worry about your age. Timothy was in his 30s at this point. But I think this is true at every age, isn't it? It's true if you're 30. It's true if you're 70. Is that don't let age determine this. Let's be an example. Whatever station of life we're in, be an example of the believer. And then notice what he says. Be an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. He gives us a list there of things that we're to be exemplary in. It looks like Jesus were to walk like him. So be an example. The second thing he says, and I, I'm coming back a couple of the other verses, but I want to see this, is that he says, keep a close watch on yourself and then on your hearers. Now, there's an order there. See if you see this. If I'm not walking with the Lord, how can I possibly model what it means to walk with the Lord? So I've got to keep a close watch on myself, and then I can serve others. If I have no communion with Christ in my personal life, then of what use am I going to be to others? I'm not. So he says, keep a watch on yourself and then on others. Then in, in that section, I think he's saying practice walking the talk. Practice walking the talk. Let your personal life come before your public life. Be an example. Keep a watch on yourself. Uh, then he says, and listen, that I think this is important. If, if you don't hear anything else, listen to this. Is that progress does not mean perfection. Some of you are perfectionists. Some of you, when you fall in anything, it drives you crazy. I have a little of that. That when I fail... I can get so discouraged. Anybody else like that? Do you really get discouraged when you fail? And I just want to crawl in under a rug and stay there when I fail. And that's not the call that Paul gives to Timothy. That's not the call on our lives because the Lord knows us. And he knows that perfection isn't attainable. In fact, he says in, in verse uh, 15, Practice these things, immerse yourselves in them so people can see your progress. There's a big difference in perfection and progress, isn't there? I got it. It's important to, for people to see our progress. It's not important for people to see our perfection because it's impossible. And you know, you think about that a moment. When you, before people, confess a weakness, 
confess a failure, is that a sign of weakness or is that a sign of communion with God? It's a sign of communion with God. And it's an indication of progress that I don't want to live here. I'm in training. I'm in training. And in my training, when I slip up, when I eat wrong, when I miss a day of training, instead of giving up, what do I do? I go back. I say, I'm not doing that again. I understand. Lord, help me. I'm going to fix it. The spiritual life is exactly the same. We miss a day of training. Maybe a word comes out of our mouth that should never have been there. I know that would never happen to any of you, right? That a word comes out that we shouldn't have spoken. Maybe it's a harsh word. Maybe it's worse than that. And it's easy to say, oh, doggone it. I I just don't have any value. Well, that's not the important part. The important part is to say that was wrong. If there were people around that you need to confess it to, tell them it was wrong. And then let them see your progress. Let them watch as those things are corrected. That's what he calls Timothy to. Let them see your progress. Let them see that you're changing. You're becoming more like the Lord as you go day by day. Then the last thing in that passage is he says, practice persistence. Don't quit. Keep going. Athletes can't quit when they get a little weary. Neither can we. You know, I, there's a story that came to my mind. Um, some of you know Harry Ironside. You ever read any of his material? Harry Ironside was pastor of Moody Memorial Church many, many years ago. And Ironside was kind of one of my personal heroes. I loved his style. I loved his writing style. Very simple, but but he knew the Lord, and you could see it in his writing. And Ironside wrote commentaries on virtually every book in the New Testament, I think. And he he had a unique background. Harry Ironside came out of the uh, Salvation Army. And at that time, the Salvation Army, at least his branch of it, was a holiness group. And here's what they taught. They taught that when you are saved, you no longer sin, period, exclamation point, sinless perfection. And he really struggled with that. He, he had integrity. He had honesty in his own heart, and he really struggled because he knew himself. He had to look in the mirror, and he knew that sometimes he did wrong. In fact, Scripture says to know to do right and not do it, it's sin in James. And, and so how would anybody possibly live their life without sinning? Well, he couldn't, and he knew that. So at one point, he made a trip to a, um, a home that was for Christian workers, Salvation Army workers, who had had their life turned upside down in one way or another. Some of them had been physically hurt, but a lot of them were emotionally unstable at this point. They had serious problems. They could no longer stay in Christian work. And as he worked among them, what he saw was this, that these were people who had failed themselves They had in some way not been able to live up to the standard of sinless perfection. And because of it, they'd gotten so discouraged and so overwrought that they gave up. They just gave up. 
and so they end up here at, with care. Ironside, out of that, wrote a book called Holiness, the False, and the True. Anybody ever read that book? Myrna has. Um, Holiness, the False, and the True was his journey through this. Well, God says, Timothy, to Timothy through Paul, let people see your progress. Even in your failures, let them see your progress, not your perfection. So, a couple things in conclusion. You know, my, my young friend, Adam Cord, the guitarist, he decided, I use the word decided because it was a major decision, that he now was going to learn music theory. So he went off to college, he spent four years studying performance guitar. And he already knew a lot about music, but he wanted to understand more fully what was behind it. So he studied music theory. And now when Adam sits down to play, if you are, are a guitarist or a musician, his stylings are amazing, just amazing. He can do things with a guitar that you can't imagine. Why? Because he spent a lifetime developing it. I think the same thing's true in the spiritual realm, folks, is that we can be amazed at what God can do with us over a continual commitment, persistence of walking with him. Just determining to walk with him and watch what the Lord can do. You look back and you say, wow, you know, the Lord's taken me from here to here. But it starts with that decision to practice, to practice it. I think the question is, is, is have I made a decision to practice my faith? Am I going to live my faith out? Is it important to me? Um, to make Jesus the most important person in my life, to make honoring him and walking with him the goal of my life. Have I made that kind of a decision? And then am I, at the end, he says, keep a close watch on yourself. Am I keeping a close watch on myself? Can't serve others if I'm not watching myself. So I've got to keep close watch on Phil and then serve others. Am I walking the talk? Well, not always. But I trust progressively. Are we walking the talk? Just ask yourself that question. I'm here, but am I walking the talk tomorrow, the next day, and the next day? Am I showing others through my life as an example what it's like to live out Christ? Can they see it in me? Let's pray. Lord, I sense that what you want to hear from me first and then perhaps from all of us is that I have decided and I want to. My heart says yes to you, that I want to follow you and I want to practice the faith 
so that others can see you in me. Lord, I have specific people in my mind that need to know you. God, help me to live my life in such a way and speak my words in such a way that they'll see Christ both in my life and in my words. Lord, help me to keep a close watch on my own heart. Forgive me, Lord, where I fail. Lord, I I pray that there'd be a progress as these days go by, that there'd be a continual progress as I become more and more like you. And then, Lord, I pray that for every one of us here this morning, may that be true of each of us. Lord, I, I think what might happen if each of us made that decision and each of us followed that decision by walking the talk so that others saw you. What might happen to the people around us? God, help us that we'd focus on that goal, on that goal of foreverness, on the goal of knowing you, walking with you, and being with you someday. Lord, help us that you would be central in all of our thoughts, in all of our decisions. Lord, as I I think through the passage that we've had before us, I see such a wealth of things in here that we haven't even talked about. Your word is profound. You've given us uh, everything that we need for this life, Lord, is here. I thank you for it. God, I believe that uh, there are decisions that need to be made. And maybe that decision is to publicly follow you in baptism. Or if that's the case, then I pray that you provoke the heart to do that. It, it may be that there needs to be a decision even before that to confess you as Savior and Lord of the life. And I, I pray that you'd enable people to do that. Whatever the decision in our life this morning, Lord, would you help us to make that decision and then to follow it through with our walk. Thank you, Lord, for these people. Thank you for this day. Thank you for Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.